Hey there, it's Mark from Third Shot Sports. This is Pickleball Problems. Pickleball Problems is a show where you phone in and tell me all about your pickleball problems, whether you want to talk about technique or tactics, etiquette or equipment. Give us a call at 1-833-PICKLEB. That is 1-833-742-5532. Let's get to the calls. Hi, Mark. This is Ken from New York. I want to know if there are any tips on knowing when to let the ball go by when you're at the non-volley line, thinking it may be going out. Uh, any help will be appreciated. Thanks. You bring up a really important point if people want to be able to handle hard hitters, and that is identifying which balls not to even touch, just to get it out of the way of so that the ball can fly long. People who have more experience in racket sports and ball sports where balls are flying towards them will tend to have a better sense of which balls are going to land out and which ones are going to land in. Experience plays a huge role in being able to identify these balls correctly. But there's some other things that you can do. First of all, it's important to pay attention to the height of your opponent's paddle when they make contact with the ball. If they're making contact below the height of the net, that means that they have to swing up. And so if you see them just before they make contact being below the height of the net, a little alarm bell should go off. It should tell you that if that ball comes fast off their paddle, it's likely going to go out. There's no guarantee. Spin could be a factor. Wind could be a factor. Maybe they hit it just slow enough that it stays in. But for the most part, if your opponents are hitting up on the ball and they're close to the net, if that ball comes fast, that ball is likely going out. Now, how do you define fast? Well, I don't know. Is it 20 miles an hour, 22 miles an hour, 23? Do you have a speedometer with you? Um, but that's something to pay attention to is, is the height of the paddle at the moment of contact. If you're waiting till that ball has been hit already before you're trying to figure it out, it's likely going to be a really difficult decision because you have so little time. One thing you can do is to get a friend to come out and hit balls at you. And when they hit the balls at you and you're standing at the kitchen line, ask your friend to hit some of them intentionally long and some of them not. And when that ball comes flying over the net, call out loud, yes or no, as in yes, I will hit it or no, I won't. But in both cases, don't hit the ball. Just call out yes or no, and then turn around and see where that ball lands. This is a way to train your ability to perceive which balls are going to be in and which balls are going to be out. Hey, Mark, it's Steve from Southern California. I play a lot of doubles and, uh, Sometimes I'm the weaker, weaker partner, and sometimes I'm playing with weaker partners. But I'd like to know about strategy for when you have a weaker partner and a stronger partner. Well, how do you keep the uh, stronger partner involved in the point, even if the um, opponents are always hitting towards the weaker partner? What can the weaker partner do to get their other partner, uh, their stronger partner, involved? All right, Steve, I'm going to preface my answer by saying I'm assuming that we're talking about a competitive situation where winning the match is more important than who hits how many balls. Because my answer is going to involve poaching, is, is going to involve doing other things to make the life difficult for other people, which is not always something that people want to do in a recreational, friendly pickup game. Okay, so that's my preface. We're assuming that you and your partner are on the same page. They don't care about hitting the balls. In fact, they'd probably prefer not to hit so many balls if you're the stronger player. Okay, preface done. So here's what you do. Don't rely on the weaker player to do the work. They're the weaker player for a reason, right? That's why they're being picked on. So you need to take a little bit more control yourself to make it harder for your opponents to pick on that weaker player. So what can you do? Well, first of all, you can hit your serve like you mean it. 
if you just put the serve in play, either you or your partner, when you're just barely getting it in, because everyone says, oh, the serve doesn't matter, just put it in, well, you're making it very easy for your opponents to immediately target your partner, the weaker player. That's what you would do, right? So if your serve is slow, if it's easy, if it's high, if it's right in the middle of the court, if it's to a weak a strength like a forehand, then your opponents are probably going to get what they want. They're probably going to be able to start the point at the weaker player. So this might mean that you've got to take some risk. You've got to hit that serve harder. You've got to hit it with more spin. You've got to direct it better. You've got to aim for a weakness. You've got to try to do more. Not so that your opponents can't get the ball back in play, but so they, they can't get the ball back in play exactly where they want. If they're trying to isolate your partner with their return, well, maybe with your great serve, now they land the ball in the center of the court instead. And now that's in the center of the court, that's a ball that you can play. The same goes for the return of serve. If they're serving to you, if you play a weak return of serve and come running up to the net, well, it's going to be pretty easy for them to hit a third shot at your partner. However, if your return of serve is a bit tougher, either because of the spin or the speed. Maybe it's really low, maybe it pulls them off the court, maybe it's really deep and forces them back. If they are likely to play a poor third shot, then maybe that's something that you can come across and you can poach and intercept, again, protecting your weaker partner. So those are my suggestions. That means doing more with these first two shots. This is why I think that the idea that the first two shots don't really matter, just get them in, I think is foolish because it makes your opponent's life so easy. Yes, it means taking some risk. Yes, it might mean occasionally that the ball goes out. But what's the alternative? Well, the alternative is that they get to pick on the weak partner. One last thing I might say, and you see this often with the pros who are trying to protect a weaker player, is using that third shot drive, speeding up the ball. Now, this is no guarantee for success, but if I play a slow ball to you, like let's say a third shot drop, I'm willing to bet that you can pick on my partner because it's a slow moving ball. Whereas if I can drive that ball at you, yeah, sure, maybe you hit a winner sometimes, but perhaps if I can overpower you, you pop up something over the middle, we can start to control the point more. Okay, so those three things. Do more with your serve, do more with your return, and think about doing something with your third shot, like a drive instead of always dropping it, and you might find yourself getting more balls. In the beginning, we gave you unlimited power and ask just one thing in return. Just one thing. Just keep it in. What were we thinking? Mistakes were made. Lives were lost. But this time, just relax. We've got you covered. Selkirk. Power. Control. No compromise. Hello, yes, my name is Andy, and I'm from uh, Lakeville, Minnesota. And I have a question regarding what um, is Mark's opinion on switching hands while playing pickleball. Thank you. Bye. Have you ever tried brushing your teeth with your non-dominant hand? Seriously, you should go and try it right now. Go brush your teeth, then come back and listen to this. It is terrible. You look like my four-year-old, probably worse than my four-year-old, because she doesn't yet have those motor skills or that coordination to consistently be able to control her body. That's what's going to happen when you typically typically when you start playing with your non-dominant hand. You think about how few times in your life you have used that non-dominant side compared to your dominant side. It is going to be understandable that you are less coordinated with that side. Now, there are those exceptions out there. There are people who are ambidextrous who can do things just as well with one side as the other or near to it. And if you are those people, so for example, in the pickleball world, we know Ben Johns hits lefty 
drops, drives, whatever he wants, as well as he does uh, with his right side. Curtis Campbell is another example. Uh, Wes Gabrielson does a lot of things with both hands. Not too many of the women, interestingly. Anyway, I don't recommend it unless you have some real need to. If you've got some sort of impairment where all of a sudden your dominant side doesn't work the way that it used to, or you, for whatever reason, can't use your dominant side, and the choice is between... Mm, using your non-dominant side or not playing pickleball. Well, okay, I guess learn to use your non-dominant side. But for the most part, people do very poorly with that. And I'm not saying you can't get the ball back in play. Even not very skilled pickleball players, if they use their non-dominant hand from up near the net, can probably get the ball back in play. But if you want to be a strong pickleball player, just getting the ball back in play isn't really good enough, is it? Because while you might get the ball back over the net, if it's a high floater right to your opponent's forehand that they put away for a smash, well, you didn't do very much with it. Mostly when I see people switching hands, it's because they're out of position. And typically the ball is on their backhand side, they're in a weak position, they're reaching for it, they didn't get there, and they switch hands and all of a sudden they can they feel like they're a little bit stronger or something. To me, the problem in that case isn't, oh, I need to use my non-dominant hand better, it's I need to move better. I need to figure out where that ball is going. I need to get there better so I don't feel compelled to use the non-dominant side. So unless you're one of those magical people who uh, do things just as well with both sides, don't try brushing your teeth. My suggestion is forget it. Don't do it. Obviously, if it's an emergency and you have no other option, it's going to be a winner and you can't do anything else. Well, I guess, like, why not? But as a general strategy and something you're going to practice and work on, you better be a pretty special case to do that effectively. Hi, I'm from an area just outside of Milwaukee. Uh, my question is, uh, if I'm in a situation where I need to uh, return a strongly hit, uh, dipping topspin shot from some a place uh, from midcourt, someplace coming in on to the to the Mill Valley line, in between those two places. Do I respond with a uh, flat block, a backspin, or a topspin roll? Thanks, Mark. I really think that uh, this show is, is uh, really worthwhile. And I appreciate you doing it. All right, so first question is, why are you at three-quarter court? Why are you in between the non-volley zone and the baseline? If you are returning serve and you're coming in, there's no excuse for you just to be there, frankly. You should be able to get all the way up to the non-volley zone by the time your opponents hit their third shot. And if you say, well, Mark, I'm not that fast, or I have people say, Mark, I'm old. No, that's no excuse. You can always buy yourself more time by playing a high, slow, arcing return of serve. You can get as much time as you need to get up to that non-volley zone. But that being said, there are times during the course of play that you find yourself at three-quarter court. I never call it no man's land, by the way, but that's another story. You find yourself at three-quarters court. Maybe you've been lobbed and you've been pushed back and you've just finished hitting your smash and all of a sudden the ball is coming back to you already. Maybe your partner has put up a lob and you think, uh-oh, they're going to kill us with it and you can't get all the way back to the baseline to defend so you drop back a few steps to three-quarter court to buy yourself some more time. There are times that you need to be there and good players can find a way, even in that uncomfortable position at three-quarter court, to sort of get out of trouble. So what are you facing? You're facing, uh, what do you say, a fast spinning heavy top spinning ball that's landing down probably around your ankles and you're wondering what to do well my first suggestion is that you pray sounds like it's not going so well for you right now and you are likely going to lose the point but you don't have to totally give up what could you do well in situations where you are in trouble 
The smart thing to do is to stay calm, to not panic. And the other smart thing to do is to be as efficient and compact with your movements as possible. The ball you described, fast, low, spinning. It is going to be very hard for you to control that ball. It's even going to be hard, likely, for you to hit that ball cleanly off the center of the paddle when it's that fast and spinny and low. So my suggestion to you is to realize you are in a defensive situation. This is an emergency. This is not the time for you trying to do something offensive, like rolling it back or I don't know, playing some sort of shot that they're going to have trouble with. Your job is to weather this storm, to get out of trouble yourself rather than causing trouble for your opponents. So lower level players, what do they do when they're in trouble? Well, they lob it. They think that a lob will relieve the pressure. And against poor movers, it can. But against good players, it sounds like you're playing decent players if they're hitting heavy topspin shots at your feet. Against good players who move well, lobbing doesn't really relieve the pressure because they go back and smash it at you. The second thing that more intermediate players do is typically when they're under pressure, when they're in trouble, when it's an emergency, is they try to hit hard. They think that they are going to overpower magically their opponents when they're in trouble by hitting hard. Now, you could try that, but if your opponents are decent net players and you're hitting from that poor position with the ball down low, I suspect your ball, if it's fast, is either going to go out of bounds or is going to be slow enough that your opponents will pounce on it. So what can you do? Well, sir, your only real solution if you want to relieve the pressure and get out of trouble is to play a drop to force your opponents to hit upwards because, as we've talked about many times before, if they're hitting upwards, they can't do nearly as much damage as they can if they're hitting downwards into the ball. So you need to get this ball low over the net and slow over the net so that the ball can drop below the top of the net and force an upward hit. So how do you do that? Well, we've made tons of videos about um, playing drops and dinks, and these are related shots. Um, my suggestion to you is, one, have zero backswing. If this ball is coming fast, you're at three-quarter cord, you need to absorb the speed of the ball so that it doesn't go flying back high over the net. So make sure that you have very little backswing on this shot. Two, make sure you hit the ball cleanly in the center of the paddle. It's very easy. You can do everything perfectly, and it's very easy that if you hit off-center, that everything goes badly. So you got to hit the center of the paddle. A short backswing will help you to do that. Three, Remain calm. Realize this is not an offensive opportunity for you. This is a defensive one where you're just trying to survive. And in order to survive, you need a drop. And four, my suggestion is to imagine there's a little window over the net. That little window is about, I don't know, the height of one paddle, maybe one and a half paddles. And your goal is to play your ball back through that little window, slowly through the window. That will help the ball stay low enough. And if it's slow, gravity will be able to do its thing and the ball can drop down perfectly. My final suggestion to you, number five bonus suggestion, is to remember that cross-court is your friend in these situations. The net is lower when you hit over the middle of the court, so when you're hitting cross-court, you're hitting over the low part of the net instead of the high part of the net. And the distance from the net to the kitchen line on the cross-court on the diagonal is longer than just going straight ahead. This is one of the reasons pros mostly play their drops and their dinks cross-court. They've got a much bigger target to aim for. Okay, so small, compact backswing, Make sure you hit the center of the paddle, stay calm, you're not trying to win the point here, you're just trying to get out of trouble. Aim for one paddle height or less over the net, and remember that cross court is your friend. Good luck, sounds like you're going to need it. Okay, so I have a question for you. What is it? Have you ever played pickleball before? Yeah. Yeah? What's your favorite part of pickleball? I like hitting the ball. Do you think it's more fun to play with your friend or by yourself? The friend. Can you play with a friend? Thanks for your help. Welcome. Whether you like training on your own or with a buddy, we've got you covered. 
Head over to thirdshotsports.com and use the promo code PROBLEMS to get a great discount on one of our drill guides. Have more fun hitting the ball. Thirdshotsports.com Let's go make breakfast. Can I hear it? I can hold it. I'm a 4 player, and I have a question about drop shots. Um, my normal drop shot has a top spin on it, but I see a lot of advanced players uh, putting backspin on their drop, spin, uh, drop shots. Uh, what do you recommend for me to uh, move to the next level on my drop shots? We don't actually keep these stats, but I bet if we did, we would find an overwhelming proportion of the emails, phone calls, tweets, Facebook posts that we get uh, have to do with spin. People love spin, top spin, side spin, back spin. And there's a lot of times that spin is really important. Top spin is useful on a serve because you can hit it harder and higher with more margin for error and still keep the ball in play. Returning serve with side spin or backspin can be an effective way to cause a bit of trouble for your opponents as they're getting ready to hit their third shot. And while you can hit a third shot drop or fifth shot drop or seventh shot drop, any sort of drop with spin, I would actually say that that's probably the least important feature of that ball. You asked about going from a 4-0 to a 4-5 level. Well, the main difference, or one of the main differences, is that the 4-5 players can do the exact same thing the 4-0s can. They can just do it again and again and again and again and again with consistency. Remember, the point of the drop is not to cause trouble for your opponents. It's not to put them in a really difficult position, as far as I'm concerned. There are some that disagree out there. I would say the point of the drop is to keep yourself out of trouble. Look, your opponents are at the net. They're looking to pounce on anything that's net high or above. You do not want them to do that. So it's so important that you can play a ball that forces them to hit upwards. So they have to hit up because if they got to hit up, they've got to hit relatively slowly if they want to keep the ball in play. So your question about going from 4-0 to 4-5, well, you talked about, okay, what do I have to do with regards to spin on the drop? I would say don't worry about the spin on the drop. If you like hitting with a little bit of backspin, great. If you like hitting with low topspin, terrific. My question is, when you're playing drops in a game, when there's something on the line, how many times in a row can you play a drop that forces an upward hit from your opponent? And whatever that number is that you can do in a row, work to make that number higher. Try to double it. If you can hit four great drops in a row and the fifth one is too high or in the net, great. Make the goal eight. And don't worry about hitting with the spin because the spin adds complexity. You add more paddle movement in order to get the acceleration up the back of the paddle, up the back of the ball, or under the ball to get some spin on it. And that extra complexity, that adds risk. And if you're adding risk, you're making it much harder for you to hit this high quality shot. So don't worry about the spin. Keep doing what you're doing. Just do it better than you currently are. Hi, Mark. This is John from Buffalo, New York. I have a problem with my overhead smash. I can hit fairly accurately, or I can hit hard, but not at the same time. Do you have any suggestions as to how to improve my shot placement when hitting a hard overhead? Thanks. Your call made me think of one of the debates that I often see in the online world in pickleball, or even the offline world sometimes, and that is, well, if you can't hit your serve for an ace, you might as well just put it in play and not worry about doing anything besides that. This is a false choice. It's not one or the other, right? Just like when you're serving, you can try to cause some trouble for your opponents. It doesn't have to be an ace. You're just causing trouble in some way. This is kind of what you're talking about. You said, I can hit it with control or with power, but not both. Well, 
as far as I'm concerned, power exists on a spectrum. It's not like you're at zero power, zero, zero power, zero power, and all of a sudden you're at 100% power. There's a spectrum there. So my suggestion to you would be to stop operating on the edges of that spectrum. I either hit really slow with control or really hard and wildly and start to find some middle ground. Can you hit it, put a target out and see how many times when you hit your overhead smash at 20% speed, can you get it in the target? Great, 10 out of 10, terrific. How about at 30% speed? How about 40% speed? How about 50% speed? And start to ramp it up incrementally. Don't try to go from zero to 100 right away and then say, oh, see, I have no control. Um, it's a progression. And start to find, um, to find where that sweet spot is, where you're getting, I don't know, 70% uh, or so. Um, and then start to push yourself. As soon as it drops below 70, that's where you got to start to operate. Now, I will say a couple of things. I haven't seen your overhead. I don't know exactly what's going on. You can always get our video analysis. There's another plug for something you can buy from us at thirdshotsports.com. But um, if you're like a lot of people, the problem has less to do with you hitting the smash and more to do with how well set up you are for the ball. Very often when people are well set up, they're underneath the ball, it was a short lob, they can hit it quite well, and they think, oh, I'm a great smasher. And then all of a sudden it's a deep lob and they are set up poorly and they're reaching for the ball and they have trouble. And it's often, strangely, in those situations where they're in trouble, where they're panicking, when they're out of position, that they swing hard because they're panicking. And then, sure enough, the ball goes out because they're in a bad position. So, um, so that's my advice, is don't think so much on the extremes. Don't think of... Um, power and control is necessarily being diametrically opposed. Find that sweet spot in between, work your way towards it, and um, make sure that when you are setting up, uh, that you're as balanced as possible. And even if you're jumping or reaching, um, that you're trying to keep yourself under control. And we'll leave it there. Thanks to everyone who called in this week with their problems. If you have a pickleball problem you would like me to talk about, give me a call. 1-833-742-5532. That's 1-833-HICKLEB. Leave us a message. All right, see you next time.